right, here we are. Good to see everybody tonight. How many were at at least one meeting at the conference last few days? All right. And how many, this is your normal Saturday night service, you're normally here? All right. And how many are maybe here for the first time? How many, all right, wonderful, good, excellent. Well, it's great to, to be with all of you. Uh, so in the days I was here, so I got in Wednesday night, right? And then, so Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It may seem like a lot of meetings, because I, I spoke, well, as, after tomorrow, it'll be six times. But uh, it's not a lot compared to, well, my first trip to Korea, I was going to be there for a week. And the schedule during the week, that is seminars for mission school like all day and then meetings at night. So it was a pretty packed schedule. So I said, so who's speaking? They said, Reverend Brown, you are speaking. I said, no, I know I'm speaking, but who else is speaking? Because it's, it's actually 25 meetings in the week. <laughs> I said, Reverend Brown, you are speaking. <laughs> so this is kind of walking the park here. I remember one time I was in Italy for, for three weeks. And at the end of it, I, I looked at it. I thought, this is an interesting schedule because it was it was, um, no, no, I was there, that, that's right, I was there for 21 days in 14 cities and 37 meetings. And I remember the main goal was to get back to my room to sleep. <laughs> just like, get up, minister, so I just want to go back and sleep. So anyway, this has been delightful. Uh, okay, so a quick, quick Korea story. Um, I'm over, again, speaking at a conference, and uh, they have us initially staying at Prayer Mountain, Yonggi Cho's Prayer Mountain. And uh, there are people praying all the time, but around 5 in the morning, a bell rings, and it's like a roar, and people start praying. Not ex exactly where you go to, to rest. And kind of in you know, a Spartan setting, and, and it, was, it was a pretty full schedule they had. Well, one of the brothers that knew me from the early trips to Korea is sitting with them. And they said, they said, we understand, Reverend Brown, you spoke many, many more times on the trip. I said, yeah, but this schedule is fine. It's just it's good the way it is. They said, oh, okay, because we give you extra meetings. We don't have enough. I said, no, actually, it's, it's fine. They go, okay, we're sorry. We're sorry. So when they left, my colleague Scott, I said to him, what do you think they meant, we're sorry? Well, he asked me. I said, well, they're sorry for even bringing it up. He said, no, I don't think that's what they meant. <laughs> and I remember one day the first meeting started at 7 a.m. The last meeting started at 10 p.m., leading into an all-night prayer. And right before it, they wanted to take me for a big meal you know, steak meal and such and such right before the last meeting. And the next day, we're in the car. And my translator says, uh, Dr. Brown, uh, meeting good last night, but not so powerful. Not so powerful. <laughs> I said, do you remember? I said, don't add in the 7 a.m. meeting if I'm speaking at 10 p.m. Oh, yeah, yeah. I said, remember I said, I don't want to eat before the meeting. Oh, okay, next time. We may not make mistakes. <laughs> I did not have a big meal before coming here, and uh, all is good. Uh, 
So just quickly on the way out, I encourage you to check out our book table. Uh, I've written almost 50 books now, but every one comes with a tremendous burden and conviction. Uh, the most urgent book that I, I wrote on revival in a good 25 years is this, Revival or We Die. A Great Awakening is Our Only Hope. When you read this, it'll give you a picture of what happens when revival comes. I mean, it will stir your heart. And it will, it will ignite something in you where you, you can see revival come in your own life. So it's, it's a vision, but it's also for you individually. Uh, and then, as, as so many are struggling with their faith and many young people dropping out from the Lord and Christian leaders falling and what's going on, I, I wrote this book, Has God Failed You? Finding Faith When You're Not Even Sure God Is Real. And when, when I felt I was to write the book and talk to the publisher about it, I remember in the early chapters, I was literally writing on my knees by the bedside saying, God, I don't have answers for people. I haven't suffered what some people have suffered. I haven't gone through what some people have gone through. And, and I really felt this tremendous grace. So this book will help you or help someone that you know that's struggling. And then one last one, which is super practical. And, and uh, every year, there seems to be an interest in it. It is the book. Breaking the Stronghold of Food. Listen, God instantly set me free as a heavy drug user, shooting heroin, all kinds of other drugs. December 17th of 1971, I was instantly set free by the power of God. I went through three miserable days of withdrawal when I gave up chocolate and other stuff. It was much easier to give up drugs than to give up bad eating habits. And this is a perennial issue, and so many of us function subpar, way under what we could in our capacity, especially as we get older. So this book will, will inspire you, but challenge you. Just, just one warning, buying the book, even sleeping with it under your pillow, won't do anything. You actually have to read it and act on it, all right? So one last thing. Uh, if you don't have my app, I really want to encourage you to download it. I'll give you the name in a moment. Just with everything happening in Israel, I have been so tremendously burdened to communicate key truths for the body, to give us guidelines and help us understand what Scripture says and what's happening in the world around us. I'd written an article sent out yesterday, I thought, okay, that's, that's my, I was writing pretty much one a day, and I thought, that's, that's my last for the week, nothing over the weekend, and I woke up early this morning, couldn't fall back asleep, saw a note from a friend in Israel referring me to this really horrific statement, anti-Israel statement from Palestinian Christians, some I've ministered, spoken to in the past, challenged in the past, they've got some pretty radical ideas, so I was tremendously burdened to, to write another article, which will probably go live uh, tomorrow. And, and this way, you'll know when the articles come out. Our, our radio broadcasts have been absolutely critical dealing with some of the key issues in the church and the world. And we're not on local radio here, but you can listen on the app anytime. You can listen live or when the show's over. And, and we have our Jewish outreach website on it, Real Messiah. We have our Consider This Video, short animated videos you can share with folks. You know, can you be gay and Christian? Is God a Zionist? You know, these different questions, five minutes animated. So if you don't, how many of you have the app? Would you raise your hands? 
All right, keep them up and feel good about yourself because you're like the elite special forces here. Okay, very good. Well done. All right. Everybody else, if you have your cell phone with you, you can grab it, okay? You can grab it. This is a good thing to do on the phone, all right? Also, on a Sunday morning, if you get bored when I'm not here, just flip it open and flick it. No, I, I didn't say that. I wouldn't say that. That would absolutely didn't mean that. All right, so uh, on your, just, just grab your phone. It's Ask Dr. Brown Ministries. So one word, A-S-K-D-R Brown Ministries. Download it, and then just let it run in the background and download once we get going. If you enjoy it, give it a good review just to get it out to others. Everything on, on the site is free. There are thousands of hours of free resources. And one of the best things is it's, it's really searchable. So you just scroll down to, to where it says search, and look for something of interest, and, and you'll find probably we have a lot of resources. We've probably addressed these issues many, many times. Here's an article, here's a video, here's more material you can get. So ask Dr. Brown Ministries, go ahead and download that, and it'll be a blessing to you. And, and you can, again, everything is shareable from it, so have at it. We're here to equip you and help you. All right, with that, and, and truly, if I didn't honor this man of God and his ministry, I wouldn't be here, amen? So I was just... It's from New York, that's a sign of affection when you kind of joke in that way. So, all right, let's, let's pray together. Thank you, Lord. Father, there's so much in your word that you could speak to us. And, and I'm here just for a few days and gone. So I pray that you would make a divine deposit in us, that the truth would come alive that we would take hold of it and be changed by it. Deepen our faith, our trust tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's turn to Luke chapter 24. I believe God wants to deepen us in our faith, in our trust. He wants to encourage us. He wants to challenge us. Luke chapter 24, we'll read one of the most famous pas passages in the Gospels. But before we do that, think of how many verses in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, talk about the importance of faith, the, the, the truth that the just will live by faith, that we are justified by faith. These are major truths in the letters of Paul. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. The one who comes to God must believe that he is, that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In 1 John 5.4, it says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory by which we overcome the world, even our faith. And through the Gospels, Yeshua commends those who trust him, who believe in him, and he rebukes those that don't. And there, there are only two times in the Gospels that it speaks of him being amazed. And one of the times is when he sees great faith among the Gentiles. The other time is when he sees no faith among his people Israel. Both of these things amaze him. Even through the Gospels as he's ministering, and says, according to your faith, 
be it done to you? Or do you believe I can do it for you? Throughout the book of Acts, about 28 times we are identified as believers, believers, believers. How do you get faith, though? How do you grow in faith? You can't manufacture it. You can't try. You can't strive. You, you can't mentally talk yourself into it. How can God require us to have faith? What does that even mean? Luke 24, so Jesus has risen from the dead. He has been telling his disciples for months and months and months over the course of several years, he's going to die and rise, but they don't get it. They can't understand it. It, it violates their paradigm because he's the Messiah who's going to rule and reign, not be cast out, not crucified. It, it doesn't play according to the narrative. To this day, the Jewish people, as far as religious Jews believe, that the Messiah will accomplish certain things, that he will not die before he accomplishes his mission. And anyone claiming to be the Messiah who doesn't regather the exiles, who doesn't rebuild the temple, who doesn't establish peace on earth, who doesn't bring the nation of Israel into total obedience, anyone who claims to be the Messiah and dies before accomplishing those things is not the Messiah. So even though in the first century they didn't have it all fully developed in that way, they knew what was supposed to happen. And he wasn't supposed to die. And, and when they, they finally heard him say enough that he's going to die and rise, they couldn't figure out what rise meant. I mean, they'd be talking among themselves, what does it mean? He's going to die and rise. It seems self-evident. If someone says, I will be crucified, I will die, and on the third day I will rise, you would think that's self-evident. But the whole thing was so contrary to their paradigm that just the idea of him dying short-circuited their thinking. So they couldn't even comprehend what rise meant. So he's now risen from the dead, but remember, their hopes have been shattered. They have no hope of his resurrection. They have no expectation of it. It's not like us where we know the story. They don't know the story, even though he's been telling them. Even though it's prophesied, they don't know it. They don't see it. So the same day that he rose, verse 13, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So somehow God supernaturally blinded their eyes. Somehow they didn't recognize that it was him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? I mean, it's a remarkable question to ask Jesus about this, but they don't know it's him. I mean, it, it strikes me that so many times when, when we think we're alone or, or that God doesn't focus on what's happening in our lives, it's as if He's ignoring us. He, he's actually sitting there right next to us. 
You know, it, it's, it's almost like you're talking to the stranger saying, I wish the Lord was here with me because it's really lonely. Tell me more. Yeah, he said he'd be with me always, and I just don't feel him anywhere near. And it's the Lord actually sitting there. It's, it's quite a remarkable thing. What thing? I mean, I love it. What things? What, what are you talking about? God does not ask questions to learn. He asks questions to draw things out of us. When God asks us a question, it's not because he's trying to get information. He's getting stuff out of us. What things? Well, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet. Notice he was. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We thought it was him. Have you ever had your, your expectation rise so high? Something in your own life, some promise, some event, and it's all falling into place only for it to crumble. I thought, I thought this was it. I thought this was the time. I thought this was a situation. It doesn't happen. Here, I, I mean, it's been like a dream for them. It's, it's actually happened. He's really the one, and each day that goes by, it's more confirmed. And his miracles and his power and, and on and on and on. And, and their hopes are rising. And he's going to redeem Israel. We're going to be freed from our bondage at last. But it didn't happen. He died. Now, now look at this. This is what's so remarkable. They are so downcast. They are so discouraged. Look at what comes next. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but they did not see Jesus. So there are already reports that he rose from the dead. But they are so discouraged and downcast that they can't hear it. It reminds me of of Moses and the children of Israel, and God sends him to the children of Israel, and he works miracles in front of them, and they're encouraged, and they believe. And then he goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. Speaking for the Lord, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, you're lazy. That's your problem. You're lazy. And he increases the work quota, tells him, okay, you have to go and get your own straw to make bricks and rather being brought to you, and you can't let down on the quota. And now they're beaten down, and now they're getting beaten physically, and, and they're discouraged, and Moses comes and does the signs, but they're too downcast to even believe. Some of you know what that's like, the, the depression, the fog, the fear, the hopelessness, the weight is just too heavy. And you, you know pep talk does it, it's just, it's, it's over. It's over. So even with reports of him rising from the dead, they're downcast. We had hoped it was him, but he died. And all the strange reports. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? I mean, it's often the way of God that life comes out of death, that resurrection comes out of crucifixion. That beauty comes out of ashes. 
that often the best things come out of the worst things. And, and many of us have been through things in our own lives, and we never want to go through them again. If it's up to us, we will never go through them again. But we recognize we would not be who we are and we would not be where we are unless we went through that very thing. It's just something unique in how God works. We come to the end of our hope. We come to the end of our confidence. We come to the end of our ability. It's an uncomfortable feeling. But then we find ourselves in the arms of God's grace. And then we learn that his strength comes out of our weakness. I know a message that I preached from this very pulpit. I believe in the end with the salvation of our people Israel. I believe it's going to be a number of factors all happening together that bring the final turning and the final repentance. One is, as Paul writes in Romans 11:25, the fullness of the Gentiles must come in. So there must be a great moving of God and the salvation of people from all the nations, but somehow that salvation has to provoke Israel to envy. In other words, God must move in such a powerful way in the church. And, and one of the great signs and wonders is, is people who were radical Muslims, terrorists, and other Jew haters getting wonderfully saved and becoming lovers of Israel. It's an extraordinary thing. But, but a church full of the Spirit and glorifying Jesus, that has to be something happening. And there has to be a strong Messianic Jewish presence in the land and the demonstration that you can be Jewish and follow Yeshua. I believe that has to be happening as well. The prayers of the church and, 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 and the power of the Spirit and the witness of Jewish believers. I believe those are some of the factors. But along with it, as we look at prophetic scriptures about end-time attack on Jerusalem and all nations coming against Jerusalem, and we, and we could see the the craziness of what's happening in the world right now. Yes, there are nations standing strongly with Israel. We're not at that point where, where the whole world, it seems, turns against Israel. But with, with protests of as many as 100,000 in, in England today protesting against Israel, it's extraordinary. You're talking two weeks after the worst shedding of Jewish blood in a single day since the Holocaust and world protests against Israel. That's how quickly things turn. I believe that in the midst of this powerful praying witness from the church and the strong Messianic Jewish presence, that there has to be tremendous pressure put, that somehow we as a nation realize there is no hope, that we come to that point of brokenness. How many of you got, that's how you got saved. You came to the end of yourself. You came to a point where you had to cry out. And when, when people say, oh, well, religion is just a crutch for you, number one, no, it's more than, much more than a crutch. Our, our, the true religion, our faith in God, is much, much more than a crutch. That's number one. And, and, and number two, it's just we, our eyes were open to reality before yours. That's all it is. Everybody needs God equally. Everybody needs God or else it's over. That's the reality. Everyone needs the mercy of God or we're eternally lost. That's reality. Some of us just realized it sooner or we realized it when we got to the end of ourselves. So, so I believe that that will happen when you read prophetic scriptures, Jeremiah 30, which has been repeated through history, but will have a, a final end time culmination. It seems with tremendous pressure, with tremendous weight, when it seems that all hope is gone, that's when God rescues. That's when people cry out. But there's going to be something of Jewish eyes being opened to these very truths. 
an experience with different circumstances, but that will be similar, where the eyes of Jewish people are open to, to recognize that this one that they've heard about all these years and, and that many of them just knew in, in a foreign setting, in a very different setting, someone they could barely recognize that this one that they rejected or, or thought was the cause of their, their problems through the persecution of the church, that he's actually the Savior and, and that he had to suffer and die and, and that he can relate to those who suffer because he himself suffered. How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? He rebukes them for being slow to believe. If God rebukes us for our unbelief, if he rebukes us in Jacob, James, the first chapter, for being double-minded and not being people of faith, that means on some level it's dependent on us. But, but how do we grow in faith? How do we believe when we're not sure? How, how do we jump if we don't know he said jump? And we know the sin of presumption to move when it's not God. How do we step out in faith without being presumptuous? I haven't the foggiest idea, but they're good questions. <laughs> no, fear not. Fear not. I've worked these through. Fear not. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Just imagine this. He's opening the words like, whoa, wow, we didn't see that. Wow. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day's almost over. So we went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and said, it's true. The Lord has risen and appeared to Simon as we heard it, but now we know it's true. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Wow. And then while they're still talking about it, he walks in the room. About two and a half years ago, as I was on one of my prayer retreats, I, I was really going before the Lord and it was one of those seasons of spiritual dissatisfaction. Many times we see God moving and things progressing and going in a good way in our lives, in our ministry, in the work that we're doing. Everything seems to be going well. And then sometimes it feels like it hits a wall or it stagnates or it's going in the wrong direction. And you have vision, you have plans, you have goals. It's almost like you're watching a, a game, and a ball game, and it has a certain time limit on it. And, and you know what's supposed to happen. You know, your team's getting further and further behind, and there are only so many minutes left. How's it going to work out? So I've always had a sense of urgency since I got saved. I've, I've had a, a passion to, to run and go for it. But as I get older, even though I've, I feel young, and by God's grace, I hope to have many years ahead of me, you know, the clock is ticking more. And, and, and you're, you're more realistic about the things God showed you are going to happen in your life and are supposed to come to pass. And you think, okay, well, it should have happened by now. You know, for example, if God's promise to me 
that, that I would be a, a top player in the National Basketball Association, the NBA, if, 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 if that was his promise to me when I got saved at 16, it would have been pretty outlandish then. I mean, I, I played high school basketball as a freshman, but I was on the, the second team. I was the epitome of the saying, white men can't jump. And, you know, it would have taken just almost miraculous intervention in my life and then constant practice and, you know, to, to ever get to that level. Otherwise, there are tens of thousands, countless thousands, hundreds of thousands of players that would be better than me. But, but maybe God spoke it to me. It, it would be a lot more believable at 16 than 68. How's that promise come? Yeah, the, I know the Lord's really going to do it. I know really going to... Maybe the wheelchair league or something like that was really going to happen. So I'm away on this prayer retreat, and it was, it was not long after, a few months after January 6th events and, and all the chaos in our nation, and we post a lot of things on social media, and it's our way of reaching people. It, it's a way of impacting people. You know, Reinhard Bonnke, champion of faith, in the Lord now, with the Lord. People told him about Facebook when he came up, when it came up, and he said, why in the world would I care about Facebook? And then he said, one day, he said, he said, then I saw a pulpit. Facebook is a pulpit. So he got up early in the morning and pray and just get a, a little, you know, thought and exhortation and post it. And I mean, he, he was one of the quickest to get to a million followers, just, just posting every day. And, and so, you know, we use it. And, and you want to reach people, right? You, you you share something because you want to reach people. I write a book because I want to touch people. I write an article because I, I want them to read it. We put out a, a message because we, we want to minister to people. Right? It's, like, it's like if you have a cure for cancer, you don't just want to sitting in your lab. You want to get it out to the cancer patients. And, and Facebook and other outlets really throttled a lot of things, news outlets, especially conservative, after January 6th. So where I, was, I would post something in the past and perhaps... If, if it really took off, it would be shared tens of thousands of times or 100,000 times or something like that, and some even more than that. Now it'd be shared like 50 times. So it was this frustration that you're shouting, but the voice isn't getting out. And I was, I was expecting certain things with our, with our radio ministry to, to be reaching more people on more stations. Now, again, it's, it's, it's not a pride thing. It's not an ambition thing. God knows how to burn that out of you. It's a burden thing. It's a mission thing. It's a vision thing. It's a promise thing. So I, I was just going to the Lord. And I was, I was a little frustrated. Like, what, what's going on? And, and I've seen God do amazing things over the decades. I mean, stories I could tell you what I've experienced and lived through. Or I could go on for years and years just telling the stories. And, and the thing is, though, the, the greatest promises... The biggest things that God promised me haven't happened yet. They're still ahead. And they're big. They're not going to happen overnight. So I, I was talking to the Lord about all this. And I was honestly pouring out my heart to him and, and asking him. I said, Lord, if what you're calling me to do is exactly what I'm doing now, I'm grateful. We, we've been able to touch millions of people and train countless thousands and pour into people and and if you just want me to go in a cave and pray, whatever you want, I'm, I'm not chafing. There's no ambition in me. But, but, Lord, I thought you promised this and this and this. 
I, th I thought things were supposed to be going in a different direction. There seemed to be a trajectory of, of impact and lies touched, and then, and then just a few little indicators, like it hit a wall, and I was, I was bothered. I know it's little stuff, but I was just bothered. So I'm talking to the Lord about it and asking him, what about this and this and this and this and this? You know, how, how is it I'm going to be one of the best players in the NBA if I'm 91? You know, it's just, how does this work? Just being honest with God. And I heard this quiet voice from the Lord say to me, where is your faith? And I said, but Lord, that's the whole issue. And in other words, if I knew that I knew that I knew that the promises that I've always known that I've known that I've known were real, but they're being tested now. If I knew that I knew that I knew that these things would happen, then I would believe that's the whole thing. I'm not sure right now. I don't want to deceive myself. That's the whole issue. It's easy to have faith. If you can imagine anything and whatever you imagine happens, it's easy to have faith if you just dream things up, but we don't want to deceive ourselves. And it's just one of those moments. And it, the little things that I'm mentioning, like hitting certain walls and, and, and things not going the way I expected, those, were, those are tiny, tiny little things, right? It was just that I, I was looking at the reality of you promised this, 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 certain things I've been contending for for well over 20 years. Well over 20 years. Major promises. And they hadn't happened yet. I, I had contended for God's promises in my life about revival. From, the, from April of 83, when he spoke to me, I'd be in a revival, serving a revival that would touch the whole world. From, from that to when he called me to serve in Brownsville, that was 13 years contending. Now this is over 20 years. Lord, what about the promises? And he spoke to me again. Did I not do the other things that I told you I would do? Did I not do this and this and this? Major, seemingly impossible, preposterous, and they all happened. And then he made clear, you just have to believe me. Things will happen through faith. Now, I've never had a problem with this. There's never been an issue. Everybody has their struggles. I have my struggles, but it's normally not a struggle of faith. So now I'm praying, and I start to ask myself a series of questions. I'm not sure if I ever shared any, any of this with you in the past, but it's on my heart to share tonight. I, I start asking questions, okay. It's one thing if God says to you, jump, right? Jump. So you know, okay, I'm supposed to jump. Or you just received $1,000, someone paid you, some, some money they owed you, you received $1,000, and the Lord says, give that to the poor. Give that to the church to give to the poor. Okay, you get a command, you act on it. But how do you exercise faith in a promise? In other words, here's the promise. How do you take hold of it? Now, I've done it my whole believing life, but it's, it's, it's almost like someone going through rehab and you have to relearn to walk or to talk or something. I'm asking myself, okay, how do you just walk around saying, I believe, 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 I'm a believer, I believe. Faith, faith, I'm a man of faith, faith, faith. Is, is that, like, how, I said, all right, so I'm just having this wonderful time with the Lord processing that. And, and, and he's telling me, you, and you have to understand the, the context of this sacred interaction. He's basically saying to me, your, your issue is not being deceived. Your issue is not believing. 
In, in other words, deception is real. Deception, we're, we're warned about deception from the beginning of the Bible to the end. And, and it's something we're on the lookout for. That, that's why I'm a word-based person. Everything is processed through the grid of Scripture in my life. But God was saying to me, as in, in communion with him, as he's speaking his promises, that, that's not the problem about worrying about being deceived right now. It's too impossible. It's too big. It's too outlandish. Really, when we take hold of God's purposes for any of our lives, it's outlandish. And then you realize that's all he has to work with is just people. Just people. There are no superstars. Everybody's just a regular person. I remember, oh, it's late 80s, early 90s. Our oldest daughter is just a young, young teen at the oldest. And we had been at some Messianic conference, and I was like some big shot there. You know, people really want to hear me talk or talk with me for a few minutes. And uh, when we got home, Jen said, you know, Dad, all these people, they wanted to talk to you. She said, but you're just dad. I said, exactly. I said, everybody's just dad. Or, you know, there's, there's no, nobody's anybody. She got it. Nobody's anybody. And if I ever forget that, Nancy reminds me on a regular basis. <laughs> the most miraculous story I have ever been part of in my life, the most miraculous story of God using me, and in a, I can't tell the whole story now, but the most wild story I ever heard of how God used me in a miraculous way, and I only got the full testimony a year later, when I told Nancy about it, her opening words were not, praise God. Wow, the Lord is amazing. You know what our opening words were? And you can't take any credit for it. <laughs> Those were opening words. She is the lead weight that keeps my helium balloon from flying away. <laughs> it's a great relationship. So I'm wrestling with this before God. How do I take hold of something without just saying words? Again, it's not like he said, do this, then faith responds. Right? Quit your job, go on the mission field. Yes, Lord. Step out and do this. Get up now in this class and share the gospel. Yes, Lord. It wasn't that. It was here's a promise. How, how do I grab it? How do I take hold of it? So I, I began to, to pray and meditate and consider these things. And one of the first things that struck me was this. You've got to rehearse what God has promised. You've got to rehearse what he has promised. Whether it's promises in the word and there's a reason that so many things are repeated over and over and over again. It, it takes us a while to get it. it. It takes a while for it to sink in. You know, to bring up my, my wonderful bride again. So she's very organized where, where things are in the house and so on. And because of the healthy eating, there's a big scullery area like a giant pantry, so i got a lot of my stuff in there, make my salads in there and stuff. And, and then I'll put something away, and she'll say, honey, it doesn't go there, it goes here. And she'll show me, got it. And, and I, I realized, after this has happened a number of decades, <laughs> that I get it the third time she tells me. 
The first time I'm not there, I'm not even listening. Second time, she says, hon, remember it goes here. And now it's starting to sink in. The third time, I get it. While praying, I realized I think it's the same with God speaking to me. Because <laughs> I'll journal something like, wow, that is a thank you, Lord. And then three months later, I'll be praying about something and, whoa, thank you, Lord, that's clear. And then six months later, praying, and I realized that's the same thing three times. Each time I thought it was the first time I ever heard it. Wow. Sometimes we're, we're slow to get it. That's just human nature. Maybe some of you are quicker than me, but I, I did tell Nancy, I said, I think it's the same with God. It takes me three times before I get it. She goes, that's pathetic. So I'm, I'm working on that. I'm trying to improve that. So, so the first thing, the first thing, you rehearse the promises. Right? 1 Timothy 1.18, fight the good fight based on the prophecies you received. Whether it's a prophetic word that was spoken over you that you know was God. In the early days, we had some key prophecies where I was called out, at me, out of meetings, and we had them on one cassette. And I just listened back to them because they were so big, and we were just getting started, and this, this seemed so big at that time. You just you listen to them again. Maybe it's key scriptures that God has spoken to you and, or just trying to grow in faith in general. Go back and review the promises. Look at them again. Maybe it's things that God spoke to you directly. Maybe not a prophetic word, maybe not a scripture, but something he spoke to you. Those have been the key things for me over the years. Everything grounded in the word, but then the key personal promises he's spoken to me personally. I've journaled them. And, and so you, you go back over them. You rehearse them. Maybe you write them out. Maybe you speak them. Maybe you read them. But as you do, something begins to happen. It's the, the principle of Romans 10, 17, that, that faith comes by hearing the word. Those things that God has spoken to you. You know, there, there's an amazing passage in Deuteronomy 8 that Jesus quotes when rebuking the devil in Matthew 4, where God says to Israel that, that he, he afflicted them in the wilderness and he humbled them and he caused them to hunger and he fed them this manna to teach them that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus says in John 6, 63, the words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. There's something that happens. There's something that we're nourished, built up. So, so we take these things in and we meditate on them. And, and, and then, then we begin to repeat them back to God. We begin to tell him, God, you promised. God, you promised. God, this is about your faithfulness. This is about your goodness. This is about your reputation. You promised. He loves when we pray his promises back to him. It's how Moses saved his people Israel in the wilderness when judgment was ready to come and destroy them. That he said, but, but Lord, you're this. He, he quoted back words that God had spoken to him about his nature earlier. The Lord, you're long-suffering, merciful. He, he quoted the words God spoke to him about his nature back to God. So the first thing, you rehearse the promises. You take them in again. And as you do, faith begins to rise. And then... You pray them back to God, and you proclaim them back to God. You say, God, you promised. You spoke this, and you spoke this. Lord, it's not about me. It's about you. It's about your glory. It's about your purposes. 
It's about your will. It's about your kingdom. It reminds me of a story from the Hebrides revival. God mightily used Duncan Campbell from 1949 to 1952 in the midst of it. But there had been prayer warriors that had prayed through the night, different times of the week, much travail for the, for the islands. They, they were very church, they were very religious, but they had been spiritually dead in many ways, and young people had dropped out of the churches. And two old sisters, praying sisters, one of them completely blind, the other crippled, bent over by arthritis, they were some of the key prayer warriors. And God had given different believers on the island a promise from Isaiah 44, that as he poured out water on the thirsty land, he would pour out his spirit on his people. It was a promise to Israel, and they felt a spiritual application to the Hebrides, and it became a promise to them. It was as if God said, I promise you. It reminds me of when our, our daughters were little. One night, I said, hey, why don't we go after dinner? Why don't we get ice cream tomorrow? Yeah, Dad, we're going to get ice cream. Okay, great, let's do it. That was when I was eating like that back then. And uh, so the next day, my schedule changed a little, and I didn't have as much time as I expected. And I thought, I actually have more time to hang out and enjoy it tomorrow. So I said, hey, why don't we do it tomorrow instead? And instantly, those little girls, crocodile tears, began pouring down their cheeks. But, Daddy, you promised. <laughs> it's as if the day before I said, come hell or high water. <laughs> Storm, tornado, hurricane, earthquake, bandits, thieves outside. We will get, I, I promise, as your father. All I had said was, hey, why don't we get ice cream? That's what I said. Why don't we get ice cream? They heard it as a promise. And when I saw those crocodile tears and my girls said, Daddy, you promised. I thought, I better, Daddy better keep his promise. If they can't trust this Daddy to keep his promise, how are they going to tr trust that Daddy to keep his promise? Amen. And it was not much of a sacrifice for me to get ice cream either. But that always struck me how, how God loves it. But we say, but you promised. You promised. Now, he may turn around and say, yes, but you this. In other words, but I've wanted to do it, but you haven't been available. You haven't been obedient. That's fine. Let's, let's have that communication. But he loves it when we come back to him. So it's the Hebrides Islands. God's been moving mightily. Extraordinary outpouring. One of the great historic outpourings, the way God came so sovereignly. They, they get into another area. And there's tremendous religious resistance on this island. In, in fact, one church had invited pastors from Edinburgh, Scotland to come over who were opposing the revival, invited them to come over and speak. That church building was packed out. Where Campbell was, the building was packed out, but there were people who had come from other areas. The people of the island itself were hardened and skeptical of revival. So nothing really happens in the meeting. And some of them say, why don't we, we go over to this one house and pray? And they begin to pray. It was a little granite house. And they're praying. And at midnight, Campbell feels led to ask the blacksmith to pray. And he begins to cry out to God. And he's honest with God. He said, Lord, I don't even, I don't know anyone in this room if they're right with you. 
I don't even know if Mr. Campbell's right with you. But I'm coming to you, God. I'm coming to you. And he says, he quotes from Isaiah 44, you promised to pour out water on the thirsty land, and you're not doing it. See, for him, it was as if God had walked in the room and said, I promise you. I promise you. That scripture had become that real to the people of the Hebrides. He cries out. been praying a half hour, and he cries out. God, you promised to pour out water on the thirsty land, and you're not doing it. And then he pauses. And then he says, don't you know that your honor is at stake? I actually tell this story in the, in the book Revival or We Die. There's a, a chapter. Don't you know your honor is at stake? Don't you know your honor is at stake? And then he pauses again. And then he prays once more. I challenge you to keep your covenant commitments. This was reverently, but that much passion and faith. And as he says those words, that little granite house shakes like a leaf. And people thought it's an earthquake, and Campbell immediately thought Acts 4.31, when he prayed, the place was shaken. They fell on their faces for a couple of hours, and when they got up to go home, to their shock, the spirit had fallen in every house in the village. People were up in the middle of the night weeping in their bedrooms. Lights were on. Men were walking down the street with chairs on their backs to sit in front of the church building to wait for the next day's meetings. We, we renew our minds. We take hold of the promise. Because, friends, God has stuff beyond us he wants to do. God has things that are in a whole other realm that we can't touch. Everything he wants us to do is impossible. You know, it's one thing, okay, we can change a diaper. We can pump gas in a car. We can hand someone a track. Every one of us can do things, but none of us can save a soul. None of us can spiritually, supernaturally heal a sick person. None of us in, in our natural cells can deliver someone from a demon. None of us in our cells can, can produce the fruit that God wants to produce. And many times we sell them short because our, our understanding of faith is my best efforts plus a little help from God. But faith could be your best efforts, and now God takes over, and it's like a rocket launch. It's a completely different realm. The things that God's promised me are completely absurd, completely impossible, something completely illogical. And that's what excites me all the more because it has to be God. I can't do it. I can't figure it out. You could say, all right, Dr. Brown, your ministry will have endless funds to do whatever you need to do. It still wouldn't get the job done because it's supernatural what has to happen. So you renew your mind to the promises. You stir your heart. You build faith. Then you begin to pray them back to God. You begin to speak them out and pray them out to God. And then, then, when you feel the unction, you tell others. When you feel the unction, you speak it out. Starting early this year, been in meetings and had altars just packed with young people and said, look at me. I said, you are going to see a massive youth awakening. I, at that moment, it's so real. I speak it. You're going to see a massive youth awakening, massive harvest of young people the likes of which we've not seen. From every imaginable and even unimaginable background, we're going to see it with our eyes. It's going to happen. 
during the days of the Brownsville Revival, as, as I knew deeply what was coming next, I, I, when our student body was almost 1,200 full-time students, I said, look at me, I'm not dreaming. I'm not dreaming. And for years, people said, Dr. Brown, the things you said, they've happened. Things have come to pass. And when my friends uh, would come and visit Brownsville, the ones I had shared in the mid-'80s that I was going to be serving a revival that would touch the world, they said, Mike, you told us this was going to happen. So you, you can't just speak it out. That's the presumption part. This is trying to manufacture, and it's hollow when you do. You can't just think, well, I'll just say it enough so it's going to happen. I'm going to be the president one day. I'm going to be the president one day. That's just words. But you know the story of Reinhard Bonnke, as I mentioned him earlier. He's called to be a missionary to Africa as a boy in Germany. His father, as a pastor, rejects the calling, does not believe he's called to be a missionary in Africa. He goes and starts ministering in the country of Lesotho. It's a little country in Africa. Stand on the street corner playing accordion, singing, sharing the gospel. He preaches in a hut to five people, five people. Gives his message, gives an altar call. Nobody gets saved. It's discouraging enough to have an audience of five more discouraging to see zero out of five get saved. He goes back to his little room, goes to sleep, and he has a dream, and he sees a blood-washed Africa from Cape Town in the south to Cairo in the north. And he hears the thundering voice, Africa shall be saved. He wakes up in the morning, reality hits. Bad dream, something he ate, whatever. It's crazy. You, you just preach to five people. Nobody gets saved. You're in this little country. No one's listening to your message. And you see a blood-washed Africa. Are you crazy? But he has the dream four straight nights. And then everyone he sees, have you heard? Africa shall be saved. And God knows the exact numbers. But in terms of those who've been at his meetings and now the meetings of Daniel Kalenda and all the teams that, that they have sent out, Daniel being one of our grads who was right there in Pensacola, and he said, I'm not dreaming, look at me, I'm not dreaming. He was there, he was in that environment. They've seen now a, a massive increase, especially in Nigeria, and they're working hard with churches to disciple and get people plugged in. They have these teams going out just preaching on the streets for day in, day out for weeks and seeing amazing fruit getting into schools. But in terms of, of numbers that they've recorded, God, God knows the details. God knows exactly what's what. But in terms of numbers of people that, that filled out cards saying that they wanted to receive Jesus, it's over 80 million. Over 80 million through one ministry. I don't, I don't believe it. Probably half of those aren't real. Okay, 40 million. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's staggering. And, and that's just part of what God has been doing in Africa. Yeah, there used to be a lot of discipleship and growth and all that, but, but you're talking about countries that had almost 0% Christian the turn of the, the 20th century, the turn of the 21st century, or 40 or 50% professing Christian. It's been this massive, massive shift. And this ministry part of it. God wants us to believe for impossible things. Maybe it's not your own life. Maybe it's a larger thing you're praying for. Maybe it's for the nation or for a generation or for another country. 
Maybe it's for this church. Maybe it's for the church in general. But, but let God put big vision in your heart. I mean, otherwise, why are we praying? If we could do it, why are we praying? God, I'd like you to help me take a step. I, I can take a step. Watch. See, I can do that. But if I was, if I was crippled, if I was paralyzed, that would be a miracle. God, God wants us to lift our eyes so that he can give us bigger dreams and possible things. And Pastor Alex knows whenever he shares something with me that seems impossible out later, it's like, that sounds good to me. That sounds great. Why not? Why not? God wants to bring us into a supernatural realm. Yes, we're practical. Yes, day by day, we go to work, go to school, we do our jobs, we're disciplined. You know, when our students would, would go home for a break, we tell them, you know what's going to impress your parents? Not all your spiritual stories about healing the sick and raising the dead. You know what's going to impress your parents? Make your bed, be nice. So, so we, we, we live things out in a practical way. We are not spiritual weirdos or fikes, but we are men and women of the spirit. What we're believing in, in a supernatural God so far beyond what we can imagine. And he wants to, he wants to increase our faith. He, he wants us to take hold of things we never took hold of before. So I want you to stand to your feet with me. I want you to stand to your feet. Maybe the Lord will remind you of things he's promised. You may be 15 years old. You may be 88. He may be reminding you of things he promised. Or it could be, as we just open our hearts to God, he just starts putting some way out ideas there. Impossible things. My last trip to India, I knew a major reason God was sending me was to encourage my faithful brothers there, people who sacrifice so much for the Lord. They've got this mount, literally a mountain they own. It's, it's one side of a mountain, half a mountain. My, my friend heard the audible voice of God telling him to buy it 25 years ago. And when, he, when, when the Lord spoke it, they were able to get it, but what it's worth now, it's, it's completely off the charts. The governments wanted it back. Hindu leaderships wanted it back. And, and they've had a vision to build a hospital there, and along with the hospital to, to have a 24-hour uh, prayer tower, and then a home for the elderly, and then a home for mentally disabled children. That's what they want to have on the property. And they've had funds to do certain things, but it, it's hit a wall. It's going to need millions and millions of dollars. And, and it, our relationship's never been about money. I, I, don't, I, I go every year, but I don't bring money to help. I, I just go and pour in, and we, we try to raise support in different ways. I don't come back and use that ministry to raise money for ours. It's completely unrelated to money. But he's under pressure. I've never seen him under. He says, Brother Mike, Mike, get help. We, get us, we, we need that money. Or we're going to lose them out, and the government's going to take it back if we can't start building. Well, we need X number of millions of dollars. I said, all right, man. Because he never asked me for, you know, for anything. I said, all right, man. So, so I, I, I contact one ministry, big, giant ministry, giant ministry, and they do a lot of humanitarian stuff. And he actually met with their leaders previously, and they treated them royally. And I called and said, hey, any way that you guys can get behind this project, get it started, because they, they got the money in abundance to do it. And the guy gets right back to me and said, it's a no. What? 
I thought it was going to go through a process and, and maybe days or weeks later he'd say, hey, it doesn't look good. He says, I just want you to know up front. It's a no. I thought, you got to be kidding me. So I call another friend. He always calls me back, give him a message. He knows some of the wealthiest people in the country. I've never asked him for money. I said, hey, could you share this with your friends? Maybe some of them want to get behind this. He doesn't even respond, doesn't text me back, doesn't call me back. I tried one other thing, hit a wall again. I said, brother, God's telling us just trust him. God's telling us just trust him. It's going to come through. Last time I was with him, we were together in the midst of miracles that we've seen in Germany with his ministry there. I mean, he's a man of faith. Extraordinary stuff. Extraordinary stuff. He says, brother, he says, talk to Nancy. Maybe she'll have some ideas. And she's not a fun person. She's not a funding person, a money person. So I said, hey, you wanted me to tell you about the whole thing? And, and then, you know, he needed $175,000 instantly to submit plans to the government to build a hospital. And if he didn't have that, he's going to lose everything, and the pressure's building. And I get this note. Praise God, brother, someone just wrote us a $175,000 check. Just out of the blue. He didn't know anybody that had that kind of money. Someone just wrote him a check. And I told Nancy, she said, I knew God wasn't going to fail our friend. She had, no, she had no idea, no solution, but just I knew God was going to fail him. And now the rest, we know the rest is going to come. There's stuff out there. Please hear me. There's stuff out there bigger than us. There's stuff out there. The, the ultimate salvation of Israel is promise. It's going to happen. I know as surely as I'm standing here, it's going to happen. But in the natural, it's completely impossible. It is completely impossible. And perhaps tomorrow the Lord will allow me in the morning to share some words of encouragement. So if you come for the service, just listen online uh, about these promises and how they're going to come to pass. But hear me, there's stuff bigger than you. There's stuff completely impossible. And God's just looking for people to believe him. He does it. We don't do it. He does it. Our job is to trust him. Trust him. I asked him as I close here, thanks for giving me your, your focus and attention for so long. I was on one prayer retreat. I said, Lord, what would please you? What would bring you delight? How could we spend our time together this weekend in a way that you'd really enjoy? And he said to me, trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Father, I hear you saying that right now to so many here. Trust me. Trust me. I hear you saying it so clearly. Some, Lord, we've struggled with faith. We've been up and down. And you're saying, trust me. Start again. You're like the two on the road to Emmaus. You're disappointed. Trust me. Jesus is saying, I'm risen. Trust me. If he's risen, everything else is going to work out. So I need to know. If he rose from the dead, everything else is going to work out. Somebody's challenging. Come on, why are, you, why, are you, why are you content where you are? Why do you believe for such little things? Start to pray bigger prayers. Start to pray prayers that when you pray them, you think, what did I just pray for? Seems completely impossible. Perfect. All things are possible to him who believes. All things are possible to him who believes. Nothing is impossible to the one who believes. That's the word. That's the word. You say to many of us, why do you have so little faith? Have not I been faithful through the years? Have not I kept my promise? The very fact we're here and, and, and in our right minds and serving God, he's kept us. So just take a couple minutes and talk to the Lord. He's, he's moving differently in different lives. He's moving differently. 
Just take a little while. Let him speak to you. Ministries are going to come out of this. Ministry works are going to come out of this. Life callings are going to come out of this. There's something rich in the spiritual atmosphere now. Thank you, Lord. There may be some that God wants to minister to in some specific personal ways. Maybe you're away from God or you just feel you can't be forgiven. You've never surrendered your life to him. There'll be an opportunity to respond. Pastor Alex, I don't know if there's anything on your heart, but I just feel there's some prophetic things to, to be released. So if, if you have that, please come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy God. Thank you, Lord. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for everything that you have done. Can I ask you if you can just put the piano just a little bit louder for me, please? I thank you for everything that you have done. We thank you for everything that you have done. And, Father, you have brought us to this place. You have brought us to this city, each and every one of us in this room, and even those that are not here that are connected to this place. And Father, we are so grateful for everything that you have done. But Lord, I pray that you will cause us to become a peculiar people. A people that will believe for what many would say is impossible, God. For you brought us to this place, oh God, to bring salvation and healing and deliverance. Lord, to turn this city inside out and upside down for your kingdom. Father, we believe that you will touch the untouched and heal the, the brokenhearted and reach those, Father, that have lost their way, those that do not know you. From the poorest to the richest, Father, we trust you that you will move powerfully in this city. Lord, we cry out to you this evening in this place, Father, that you will, you will touch every life, every soul in this city, Lord. Father, you have given us a vision. You have given us a plan, God, to come into this place and see it saved for your name's sake, God. 
Lord, we pray this, this evening again, renew our faith. Renew our faith, Lord. Let us see and hear your voice again and, and, and see the things that you desire to show us. For Father, we trust in you. We trust in you, Lord. We trust you for what many say is impossible. Father, I pray that you will provide, that you will move powerfully on, on each and every one of us, God, in the grocery stores, at the beach, Father, in our schools, in our business places, God. Lord, the things that you did with Solomon where you tr turned a, an, an entire community inside out and upside down and prospered them. Father, I pray that you will bring salvation to this city and prosper it, God. But let the prosperity, let it be, Father, for the kingdom. Let it be lives and, and souls, God. Let it be treasures that really mean something, Father. We pray this evening in the mighty name of Jesus, and we honor you and we love you, God. I prophesy this evening, Father. I prophesy that you will that you will set this place up, God. That it will be like a light on a hill. That it will be it will be a shining bright light, God. And the broken and the hurting will come, Father. They will come and they will encounter your love and they will encounter your power. Lord, let this place be a place where they come and they will never be the same again, Lord. Father, we trust you for, we trust you, Father. We, we honor you, Lord. We love you, God. Lord, your ways, your ways, your will, your desire for us, God, that is our desire. That is our desire, Lord. When you sent us to the city, Lord, you told us that we would come and we would bring your fire. And the way that we would do it would be by teaching and demonstrating your love and power. Father, I believe that we've only just scratched the surface. And this evening in this place, we stand together and cry out to you, God. Send the fire of your spirit, God. Lord, do it for your glory. Send your fire, Lord. Send your fire, God. Send your love, Lord. Send your power, God. The two work together hand in hand. The two flow together, Lord. I pray this evening in the mighty name of your son, Jesus, Lord, that you will pour out your spirit. Pour it out in the schools. Pour it out in the shopping center, here in the mall. Pour it out, God. Pour it out on the beaches. Pour it out in the business places. Father, I pray that you will cause evangelism to erupt in the city, God. That you will cause, that you will cause people to stand on street corners. That you will cause, Father, us to go out into the highways and the byways, the places that no one's willing to go. Let us go to those places, God. Father, I pray that you will activate your church, that you will activate this church to go out and do the work of the ministry here in Vero Beach. Yes, Lord, we have a desire to go elsewhere, but Father, this ground is the ground that you have given us. This territory is the place that you have given us. So in the name of Jesus, Father, give us what seems impossible. Bring them in, God. Let them know you more, Father, and we will always give you all of the glory, all of the honor and all of the praise. Come on, let's give the Lord a shout. Come on, let's give the Lord a shout. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
Amen. Amen. Where is Pastor Mike? Can you quickly come here, Mike? Jess, Jess, where's Jess? Can you, can you make a plan real quick? Thank you. Thank you, Jess. Just take over from Shy. Come on the stage, Mike. Many of you um, know that a few months ago, Mike got a word about going out to plant a church, and a lot of things have happened, and so in two weeks' time, Okeechobee will have a church. Don't worry, he'll still be here for a while, but he's going to be going and planting this church, and I really feel like the Lord, I want to give you something. And then Dr. Brown will also pray for you this evening. Father, I thank you for this young man and this young lady, Father, that have served in this house, God, and they have been faithful, Father. I thank you, Father, for every bit of prayer and all the things that they have done as they've labored alongside us. And Father, as they're about to go out and begin this church, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that they will go with everything that they need. I know, Father, I know, Mike, I know that your heart, you've, you, you, you've said to the Lord that, Lord, I know we need this stuff, but all I really want, God, is that your power and your presence will go with me. You've said to the Lord, Father, if you will only just give me what, what's, what's on the house here, what's, what's on this place, what's in this place, if you can take it with you. Well, I want you to know, young man, that you will go, and you will go with a double portion. You will go with a double portion. You will leave this place. And I said it to you before, that you will go and you will come and you will go and you will come, for you will always be a son in this house. But know this, that as you go into that territory, you will go with the full armor of God. You will be clothed in the full armor of God. Your feet will be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Your loin belt will be fastened and tight. You will have the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, the helmet of salvation. You will stand and you will stand fully equipped and fully ready. And the two of you will stand together. And no weapon formed against you will be able to prosper. And you will be prosperous and you will be successful. And you will take ground for the kingdom in that territory for there's much darkness over that territory. There's much darkness over that territory, but you will be a light in that area. You will be a light. And not only will you be a light, not only will you be a light to the lost, but you will be a light to the churches. And they will come to you and they will they will want to see what's happening in that place for they will hear about, they will hear about the outpourings and they will hear about the move of my spirit, says the Lord. They will see and they will hear and they will flock to that little building. And that building will be too small very, very quickly. And I hear the sound. Oh, 
I hear the sound. I, th I hear the sound. I hear the sound of, of the cars coming into the parking lot. And I hear the sound of them standing, talking before the doors open for the church. Father, I thank you that you will pour out your spirit in that place. I thank you for the anointing that rests upon them. I thank you, Father, that they have been faithful and that they stand clothed and equipped and ready to go. And Father, I give you all the glory and the honor and the praise for it. Mike, do not be afraid of anything, for you have nothing to be afraid of. And the Lord says, do not do not, do not worry for one second about the calling and the office that you stand in. For as you begin to move in that place, the anointing of a teacher has come upon you, Mike. You said, Lord, Lord, I know I can do all these things. I know I can, I can prophesy and I know these things, but am I really called to teach? Am I really called to be a pastor? It was about a week and ago, about a week or two weeks ago, somewhere around there, where I, where I heard, I heard how the Lord showed me, or He spoke to me or showed me, but I I saw the, the, the office of a teacher coming on you, Mike, and you will rightly divide the word of truth. And as you speak the word, eyes will go open and ears will go open and hearts will begin to burn just like that sermon tonight. Hearts will begin to burn and lives will begin to be transformed. And know this, know this, that even in that place that many have written off, I will set you up as a beacon I will set you up as a voice and they will talk about you. They will talk about your ministry. They will speak about it in distant places and far off places. But you are to remain humble, young man. Young lady, you are to remain humble. The hand of the Lord is on you, Mike. Cheyenne, the hand of the Lord is on you. Father, I thank you I thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Just, just so you know, I wanted to call him up, but I couldn't find him. I was looking around trying to find him, so... Thank you, Lord. Just to add these, these two things that, that I heard the Lord saying as Pastor Alex was prophesying over you. He said, I'm sending you to because you know you can't do it. You know you can't do it. But he also says to you, the power is inside of you. The impossible, the, the God stuff, it's inside of you. It's there. And as he works through you, remember, it's there. It will come up. It will rise up. It will demonstrate for the glory of God something fresh beyond anything they've known. Fire, passion, hunger, tenacity of faith, courage, boldness, authority. Clothe them with authority. Grace and favor. Shock us and amaze us with what you do. No person gets praise. You get the praise, God. You get the praise. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And uh, just this, this last thing before we turn things over to dismiss. We don't have to have you come up, but there, there's some here, and it could be any night, this is true, but I just 
feel specifically, there are some here who feel you wasted too many years. You, you, you've either been away from God or kind of in a neutral state for so many years, you feel like you forfeited the promises. There's, it's not going to happen. And there are others who feel you, you're just too far gone to be used by God. And, and God just keeps stirring my heart to tell you, you don't have to come up, you don't have to make a public scene of it. You know who you are. I'm not looking for everyone to raise their hand so to confirm something. I, I, I know you're there. But God wants you here. It's, it's not too late. You're not too far gone. We're talking about God. We're not talking about us. We're not talking about human math or human computation or human record keeping. We're talking about God. And, and he has a way of using the mistakes, the errors, the sin, all the bad things. He has a way of bringing good out of it. The things themselves are bad. He has a way of bringing good out of it. He has a way of accelerating pace. He has a way of adding years. He has a way of multiplying time. So I want to encourage you, yield your life to him afresh. And say, Father, I'm going to believe you. I'm going to trust you. Those who need forgiveness, you have not gone too far. Receive it from him tonight. Those who need that reassurance, say, I'm, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to believe God. And faith will rise. And when faith rises, begin to do what we said. Begin to proclaim it. Begin to speak it. Lord, fulfill your promises. Fulfill your promises. I came in as a blank slate tonight. Out of all different themes in my heart, not knowing what you wanted me to speak, but Lord, it's this message this night because of the supernatural destiny for this church. It's about you, not about us. So do things that will shock us and amaze us. In years to come, we'll sit together and say, Lord, you said it was going to happen. You said it was going to happen. And look at what God has done. Let's thank him in advance for what he's going to do. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right, let me bless you. Come back tomorrow, 9 a.m., 11 a.m. Bring your friends, neighbors, but please leave your animals at home. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you. We honor you. Let us always keep your, your word and your plans before us, your plans for our lives before us, and let us always hold on to them, Father. We honor you and we love you. I bless your people as they go home tonight, Lord, that you would protect them, strengthen them, encourage them, and bring us all back tomorrow. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful, wonderful night, and we will see you tomorrow.